Namaste. I think there has been a growing recognition in the last few decades that with all the education, the equipments, the methods, the processes, techniques, good classrooms, good teachers, well-paid teachers, very good textbooks, or so it seems, there is something crucial which is missing. And that crucial is, uh, unfortunately, or fortunately, not found in the textbooks. Because had it been found in the textbooks, we would have again reduced it to some small little narrow something. That something is to be found within us. And I remember a story from Sanat Sujatya, where uh, Narada, who has mastered some if I remember right, 64 vidyas, and yet he is not able to conquer himself. He is uh, in a state of unhappiness, a kind of, not exactly depression, but as if something is missing in life. And so in that state, while he is uh, moving about, uh, Rishi Sanat Kumar, he meets him and asks him, what is the reason for your malady? He says, I have read so much, I have studied so much. He has all the degrees in his pocket or his jhola. But still there is something which is missing, something very crucial and critical. And then he smiles, the sage smiles, Rishi smiles and points out that, do you know something, knowing which all else can be known? So he says, no, there was nothing like that in terms of all the vidyas that I have studied now. He says, that is the vidya you must acquire now. That vidya as we know in our ancient shastras is Brahma vidya. It was given a primary importance at one point of time because it is the basis of everything else. When we talk about being moral, being good, being nice, nowadays because of this lacuna people are trying to bring in something and that something is a very artificial, crude and coarse substitute for the real thing and we call it moral education. So, But moral education without a basis has no meaning. If this world has nothing divine within it, then why be good? If we are just a social animal, then why shouldn't we be like animal? It's quite natural that we'll have animal instincts. Only thing is we'll cover it with nice, neat mass. We'll do the same animal things, but uh, speaking good English, chaste English, uh, or whatever chaste language that we can. But obviously that makes it worse because it becomes hypocrisy and a kind of deceit. So... It's time that we rethink about the very basis of education. Why are we educating? What purpose are we going to serve? What is the goal of education? If it is just a question of getting a job, then yes, uh, it's enough to develop certain skills. And based on that, human beings will earn a good livelihood. If it is about earning livelihood, then again, all that is needed is to you know get a good degree. Doctors do it. Unfortunately, many other people, I mean... They have a good degree, they join good institutions, they get a lot of money. So that's it. Is that the goal? But just imagine if that is the goal we place before human beings, then what is it going to be the long-term effect of all this? Imagine a society which lives just for money and for a good job. What is called as the quality of life, which is unfortunately the quantity of life and not its quality, which is quite another thing. Then if, if society begins to follow that goal then very soon it's going to hurtle towards the abyss. And none can save it, that's for sure. So, very timely and, you know, 
hundred years before the malady would come so much to the surface. We are so fortunate that the Shiobindra and the mother pointed the real problem and gave us the true solution. So what really is the basis of education? There are two ways to look at education is that a child is like a tabula rasa, he is uh, a blank and we have to fill in things from outside. And by filling things from outside, the child will, you know, grow and develop and, you know, uh, become a performance artist. He'll perform well, get good marks, get a degree, etc., etc. But there is another view of education, which is more characteristically Indian. Which Swami Vivekananda, he quotes so beautifully in the uh, Parliament of World Religion, when he said that, I am so proud to belong to a religion which believes that man essentially has a divine nature. I think it changes the entire perspective. So there is nothing to be imposed from outside. We inherit a divine nature, not from our parental inheritance, but from a divine inheritance. In other words, man as we know it has a double birth and a double inheritance. There is the physical body formed by the parents and the psychological being which develops as we you know, go to school, as we interact in society, etc., etc. But we also have another inheritance, which is our original inheritance. We belong to that vansha of the divine. So this is our original inheritance, and that inheritance is the one which we have least focused upon. So once we understand this fundamental, that there is within us the divine nature, then all that is necessary is to uncover it. So education changes from putting things from outside artificially, artificially manufactured virtue, artificially manufactured sense of do's and don'ts. And instead of that, to just help bring out this divine nature, which is in everybody. Now we have the story of even the worst kind of people, where often teachers speak about, you know, difficult children, this kind of children, that kind of children. But look how our stories have dealt with these issues. We have the story of Ratnakar, who held back within him a Valmiki. Or Angulimal, who held back within him Anand, then it just required a pointing out in that direction. Where was Valmiki? Valmiki was right inside Ratnakar. And a little reflection, a little thought revealed to him that, well, this is not what I need to be doing. I need to be doing something else. And it came out. So all education is, as the word in English stands for, educe, literally to bring out. And to put it at the noblest and the highest use. So what is within us held back is the divine nature. So once we understand a little bit about divine nature, then the rest becomes very logical, spontaneous, natural, organic. So this divine nature, if we go back to the Shrutis, is composed of four main aspects, though he is Anandaguna. But when we look at the description of the Purusha, there are the four main aspects. One is knowledge, which as we are told is the head of the Purusha. And the second is power, which is, as we are told, which is the um, chest and the bhuja of the arms of the purusha. And then third is this force of harmony and conscious interchange. And that is the udar and, you know, production and entire thing. And the thighs of the uh, purusha and the uh, power of dexterity in service, dexterity in everything and that is the feet of the purusha because that's where we walk upon. So these are the four aspects of uh, human nature of which three are more or less recognized and these three are, if you may use the word knowledge, second is power, 
and third is the will or the uh, the the power and the third is this harmony love and these aspects of human life and there is a fourth aspect which waits in the background and we'll speak about it as we go by so first thing which is necessary is the let's take knowledge we all have some kind of a knowledge base or some kind of an intelligence intelligence is the base on which knowledge develops but it is left to us what direction we give to this intelligence now when children are small we may you know try to give them a direction of very pragmatic intelligence you know we know now nowadays that intelligence is one and universal but it has multiple functions it can uh, take this as form that form it can take variety of forms there's a beauty of intelligence so we can turn it outwards and downwards that's what ordinarily happens and this intelligence becomes a pragmatic intelligence utilitarian intelligence it's meant for the needs of life and because that's all that we focus upon it all of the possibilities of intelligence remain inside these possibilities are higher possibilities not just about memory which is what we focus upon judgment reasoning still higher intuition inspiration all these remain suppressed because it's not needed to perform in an examination so to say but instead if we can turn this intelligence inward and upward then this intelligence itself will awaken so much that we'll have a direct access to domains of knowledge now this process of turning the intelligence inward and upward is what was called as brahmacharya so if we look at the four ashramas the first the student time was a brahmacharya ashram brahmacharya is not just about um, uh, you know about sexual energies because children are too small when they start but it's about learning to turn the energy inward and upward it is a kind of continence and concentration through which the energy instead of being wasted and thrown out is turned inward held within and turned upward so there are plenty of processes which are described but anything when children go into its depth when they learn to reflect be it their everyday life one of the best ways to instead of the typical classroom teaching which very often they uh, you know mug up from from a textbook and they uh, they have all the answers without even having a question so the right way is that children should raise questions about life about everything that they experience then it's a natural and organic way rather than give them artificially a textbook and suddenly you have rutherfords and niels bohr theory of the atom and they can't connect with an atom at all there is no connection with the atomic universe and yet they are learning it but if you start with what is this table composed of and go deeper and deeper then we'll not stop with the atom but go beyond and there are many children in whom suddenly this intelligence will burst across a boundary and new creative understanding of the very atoms and substance and objects will come out because we have allowed this intelligence to break free from the human formula so this is just in a you know in very brief because i'm sure there are very eminent speakers who will speak about details subsequently so the first thing that we need to awaken in a child is the love to learn so that is how intelligence grows intelligence doesn't grow when it has it is given ready made answers it's like a fast food so very often fast food teaching where we have textbooks for everything it stifles intelligence because it doesn't even teach the children to raise questions it rather tells them look here this is the question this is the answer so there are already standard answers the child has not even understood the problem but has the answer and he has remembered the answer so this is the best way to kill intelligence whereas if we have okay we can the love to learn then the child will itself discover many things and that's what is his contribution to life 
I mean, it doesn't matter. I mean, when I read the story of Michael Faraday uh, during my school days, I was very impressed that here was a boy who actually, <laughs> his father was a, I think, a blacksmith or something. And he was sitting in his shop and he would, uh, you know, he, he would work with him and raise questions. Eventually discovered the electromagnetic wave. Now, this is how the education should be. Whereas we read about it and forget about it. We don't realize it. It has far greater implications than just reading it in a textbooks because it's the fundamental composition of matter. It is right there. And that's how the Sankhya discovered that there are forces and waves behind which can be discovered and which can be put to use. So let children learn to think for themselves, learn to reflect, learn to question to the extent that Shurabindu says that they must learn to question everything. This uh, idea that children must obey whatever the elders say has been one of the biggest banes of today's time. The result is that they can't think for themselves. They're paralyzed. They're thought paralyzed. They're even afraid to think. Because the moment they think, the first thing that is instilled to them is that you are wrong. You cannot be right because we are right. We are teachers. We are parents. We are books. When children learn to question, that's how Shubhindu says that how can we regain this habit of thinking which we have lost. And he says for a time by reversing the process through which we had gained it. So what was the process through which it was gained? What did the Rishis do? How did they know such the wonderful things which have outlasted the entire, you know, ups and downs and upheavals of time? Simply because they reflected. They stood and stared at the universe. And appalling though it seemed, they tried to understand what, what are the stars trying to tell us? What are the forces that weave the stars? And while standing on terra firma on this ground, they could get at that forces because they knew how to truly reflect and to awaken this kind of intuition which comes when the mind enters a state of stillness, it questions, reflects and after some time there is a state of pause, a stillness in which knowledge awakens, leaps up from within. This is a process which takes place even ordinarily in life. All true intelligence, is a, all true knowledge is an aha phenomena. And if in a learning in a textbook, if the aha has not happened, then actually it is going to be forgotten because it's really never understood. Real understanding comes when suddenly a point comes when we say, oh yes, and we are filled with wonder. Because it is a wonder how things operate. And if that wonder is lost, then we have missed something very crucial about life. It applies to everything. Uh, take for instance in, in the field of biology, we have the genetic code. So we have, nowadays everything is genes. But we don't know what really triggers the genes. Now, genes are like switches. They are inbuilt mechanisms. You know, we have inherited. But what triggers the switches? Are there counter switches? Now, when children begin to learn, think like that, then they will discover that we are not slaves of genes. Genes are nothing but, you know, something which has got embedded or enmeshed in the course of evolution. And we can, we are greater than those genetic framework. It is just a framework, but we can override the genetic framework. As we know that nowadays, even parallel Olympics and many of these things come to show us. In Olympics, for instance, there is steadily an increase of the, if you really look at the old records, look at the cricket old records. Um, I think yesterday I was just speaking of, uh, you know, sharing about Michael Holding, one of the you know, very well-known pace bowlers, <laughs> four, we had some four. But now if you think about the pace bowlers, he's like, okay, it's okay. But there are so much more that is developed because human consciousness is advancing in every field. So this ability to go beyond limits, 
especially for the intelligence is something very important and how do they go beyond limits when they are taught that the book is insufficient when the teacher is insufficient when the parents are insufficient and who is going to tell them this the teacher the parent and good books good books will always tell this that's the beauty shobindra at the beginning of synthesis of yoga he says something very interesting he says the sadhaka of this yoga must remember that he is not a he says that the sadhaka can draw inspiration from um, you know depending on his background from the gita or some other book or many books but he must know that he is not a sadhaka of one book or many books he is a sadhaka of the infinite and then he reminds us of the gita shabd brahmati vartate go beyond the word written or spoken now look at so beautifully these books have uh, you know one of the highest knowledge that is contained in them and yet at the end we are being told look here even shri krishna at the end of all this you know it's a good lesson to our parents today at the end of such wonderful the uh, flow of the purest ganges from the highest heavens shri krishna tells arjun say look here i i told you what i had to say uh, you decide and do choose for yourself is <laughs> something remarkable so children must learn to choose and how will they learn to choose if they don't learn to reflect to learn to love to learn this is what and this love for learn can mean anything anything and everything i can give a number of conversation uh, you know some child playing with pillow and you just say okay what what can you do with the pillow you can learn the balancing act you can learn the philosophy of life how the pillow when you press the pillow compress and crush it the pillow gives you comfort what a amazing thing the pillow is so <laughs> so many things you can learn and how we can be soft and plastic so if we are too rigid we are of no use if we are too rigid you break and if you are too soft then anybody can crush you but there is a right constituency wherein your softness is simply a resilience which bounces back a pillow can teach us so when we have the ability to learn then every grain of sand can speak to us of the eternal and the infinite provided we have this uh, everything actually i can give countless examples in everyday life at least for me so one of the things that i talk uh, with children is i tell them that look here uh, tell me uh, if if uh, uh, what five new things you learned that's enough so so children think of something outward so i tell them that look outward is not the only thing there are a lot of things we learn inside if you observe our thoughts our feelings so children develop this capacity of self observation all these are fields of intelligence which our intelligence is not even entered into let alone conquer so when we learn to turn intelligence inward and upward how do we turn inward when it it's the nor the his own field of nature becomes the field of study it requires a certain degree of development but if children can be made student of themselves what does the gita say that you know one of the great devi qualities is swadhyaya which one way is of course study of the scriptures but in its original sense it means study of the self somebody who studies the self so and therefore student when they study themselves they become a Um, you know their consciousness turned inwards and then what are the possibilities of the self then the consciousness turns upwards and in everything memory for example to go beyond the limits how to really expand the memory how to increase the memory how to increase concentration how to expand concentration anything which breaks a barrier is really speaking uh, bringing a new possibility in this world at one level so this is about intelligence and one could go on and on but you know we have to um, take care of the time 
the next aspect which is important uh, is of course the very core of existence or or even before that we can say we before we come to the core along with knowledge we need power one of the reasons why india fell is shubhendra says is there kami of is there uh, um, you know deficiency of knowledge is no we have enough gyana we take from the beginning shastra after shastra sometimes it's too many debates discussions forums platforms all the discussions on shastras but power then he says what about bhakti he says we have enough bhakti if you really look at india's um, thing we see gyana flood of gyana even in the most eclipse period of india we have gyana bhakti even when there is dark ages we have bhakti but what is missing is power that's why india falls because even in savitri we see death says all right you have the knowledge where is the power do you have the power to conquer me this aspect we missed completely there was a time when we had the power imagine what power would have been there in a man like bhishma i can't imagine that you know he takes a vow and what a vow that i'll never sit on the throne never have a progeny and with that power he is blessed to decide when he is going to die a thousand arrows on his body cannot kill him because he has the power he has the power to withdraw his consciousness completely from the physical body many of us unfortunately regard these things as just mythologies and never explore the possibility he could withdraw the consciousness completely from the body and live in that state that i'll choose when i have to leave finally quit so there are powers beyond powers which we have shunned in in fact in yoga we are told don't go after powers it's there is a reason behind it because power can topple the head no doubt about it but if there is the background of knowledge that's why shubindu says in our yoga we arrive at the aim of the tantra but on the basis of vedanta when we are rooted in the one when we understand that as these powers awaken they have to be placed at the service of the divine like everything else then there is no problem and the by power it doesn't mean doing magic and miracles that's not power power which acts naturally in the world and creates something as i said intelligence itself breaking through boundaries and bringing out some new creative impulse look at you know the other day somebody was saying that this also a kind of power brahmatej that you know whether shirbindu is avatar or not and i said see these discussions are not of much use but one thing we know that in the entire history of spiritual literature after vyas and that too many people doubt whether all the works are related to vyas or it's a there is not a single figure and correct me if i am wrong spiritual literature i am speaking of there are people who write all kinds of novels ibn safi 100 novels i am not speaking of that james bond but not a single person who has produced this kind of a high quality highest quality 36 volumes 500 pages each what kind of power is it that was using his brain day and night is it ordinary i mean you do, we don't need to discuss any further forget about new world coming or not coming and all these things can be debated but can it be isn't it something fantastic and not only that what kind of power i mean before shurbindo one could have you know doubted that maybe these things which are described in our scriptures is it really true or not ravana used to have all the navagraha at his disposal but now we understand mother speaks of even the ability to divert lightning and there is a story when shurbindo is sitting in his room and there is a storm raging outside and mother comes inside that you know it must be it's a cyclone it's not a storm so a lot of wind must be coming inside 
let me close the windows and she goes and sees shrivindra is sitting quiet sitting quietly at his desk and writing pages after pages after pages and the windows are open open and not a drop of water is coming inside now that's power power is not something to dazzle us that's not what is required but a natural mastery over our own nature and as an extension over outer nature that's power when somebody had tried to harm him through occult means and he fell seriously ill on the verge of death and then his wife comes and pleads to shirbindo through the mother of course that he is you know about to die so shirbindo says what for a few stones he had tried to throw stones in an occult way and he recovers that's power or when the cat dies because a scorpion is bit and shirbindo just looks into the cat's eyes and the cat in 20 minutes wakes up stretches jumps and goes away thousands of people getting healed just by a look now this is something which we have completely lost connect- connection with we are very happy speaking about vedanta god within god above but a god which is has nothing to do with the world he is there in some impersonal state vast heaven of nirgun brahma where he also doesn't know what's happening to the world <laughs> or time to time we have to pray to him and he will intervene for some bhakta but that god is within us where is that god within us who has been forgotten and lost so that's where we have the aspect of power but this also is something which has to be um, you know children have to learn to cultivate it one of the things it's coming through a back door is in a very uh, mild way you know for power it's one of the greatest tapasyas of power you have to learn how to hold energy how to take it within otherwise we are throwing away when we concentrate anything it becomes a power concentrate thought it becomes a power concentrate emotions it becomes a power concentrate will it becomes a power now basically power is connected with our will and what we have done for will is nothing but a second hand third hand or fifth hand substitute which is called moral education put in a column do this don't do this no gray areas in between and children uh, one of the most boring lectures i am sure i mean i studied in a convent was the moral lesson class but the only thing we enjoyed was ki okay this is very easy and for exams we'll have marks this was a contact with moral education it becomes even worse when moral education is reduced to something which is only outward which is about how you are behaving manners whereas inwardly one may be very coarse very uncouth and yet outward expression maybe you know it that's nothing to do with true goodness true awakening of will is about mastery and to train and teach how to master oneself sometimes you know master the urge for food master the urge for i i remember one something very interesting as a child so um, you know one of the things that uh, one of the teachers used to do was If you want to go to bathroom you cannot ask now this is something very strange <laughs> this is very strange you know you can't go to bath washroom you can't ask but now when i look back i realize that indirectly teacher was very harsh by the way this is not a method but had the teacher explained now i understand that it's one kind of continence it's one kind of control it's one kind of mastery but it never struck me like that it looked like a very very cruel and harsh thing and it is harsh and cruel but in every situation if the child and whole life is a field for you know many such situations where we can master we can conquer and if children can learn that self mastery is something wonderful mother gives a little story about a boy used to get very angry and once you know he was like a bully and he got 
very angry and he comes to mother, I am very angry, I want to hit this boy. He says, okay, fine. Tell me what is more difficult, to go and punch that boy or to hold your fist, keep it in the pocket and not take it out till your anger is gone. He says, mother, the second one is more difficult. So do you want to do an easy thing or a difficult thing? Now the child's pride. I want to do a more difficult thing. Okay, do it. And that is how she taught in very simple ways. Now when we do this, that's why people who are very violent are very weak. Actually, if this simple thing children can learn that people who are very aggressive, very violent are basically very weak because they cannot contain power. And whereas those who are really strong are very calm. That's why Shiva is Ashutosh. But the moment he picks the trident, the whole world shakes. All the titans are running here and there. Sri Ram, such a Swamya image of Rama. Even when he is doing Talka Vad, he is feeling compassion. She is a lady, should I or should I not? And this same Rama, Lord Ram, when he stands before Ravana, and Ravana the ten-headed, Ravana the mighty-armed, Ravana the indefeatable, Ravana the seemingly invincible, when he says all kinds of things, you are going to fight with me. Rama hears everything and says, now shall we fight? Or you are going to just keep talking? Now this sense of power which we see found in our scriptures, you know, I remember that Samvad with Parshuram. It's there, inbuilt in the fabric. We have not read it probably like that. As children, we used to hear these stories and enjoy it. But look at, you know, uh, again, Ram is very quiet when Lakshman and Parshuram are talking till Parshuram challenges him to an actual fight. And Ram says, please don't do that, seer. Why? Are you afraid of me? No, 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 no. We are not afraid of you. <laughs> he clarifies, we are not afraid of you. Even if death challenges us, we'll fight and give it a very tough time. So please don't challenge us to fight. All else you can say, we'll bear. Now this power that comes by bearing, by endurance, by the mastery of will over our nature. This is the essence of moral education. Not an artificial do's and don'ts and good and bad. So this, you know, the artificial stuff leads to a, another kind of problem like be non-violent, even if others are hitting at you, you just stand. This is not uh, really cultivation of power. And sometimes this can be very dangerous because inside everything is boiling. But to master our nature and then if there is a need, that's what is Arjuna, that's what is Bhishma, that's what our great, um, uh, you know, great ancestors were. Second is power. And the third which is um, one of the most beautiful without which life could not be. His love, harmony and the joy of life. It's an irony and a tragedy that we know everything except how to love. I think we I have several times spoken about it, the deficiency. Not only are we deficient in power, we are greatly deficient in this vitamin called love. Vitamin L. And that's why there is so much of depression, so much of people often ask, what is the one cause? Because love is missing. Why is love missing? Because we are too selfish. We are so busy with ourselves, we don't have time for somebody else. And this time for somebody else should not be an artificial thing again. Look after your parents, do, not a mechanical, it should be a natural outflowing. It's not about only parents. If we teach that do to your parents, but ignore the plant, ignore the animal, ignore the neighbor, it doesn't work at all. Then that is an imposition, it's slavery, it's not love. Love awakens love. So this love is one of the the mother describes the most, one of the most difficult tapasyas. And yet love, harmony, joy, it releases the joy of life. Somebody doesn't have to love us to have joy. 
That's what we wait for. And it's so true. Love brings joy. But we have to learn to love someone to bring out the joy of life. Because we are always wanting, wanting, wanting. It leads to such a mess in our relationships, which is what is going to ultimately, you know, people, you, one may have a very good job, but if one doesn't know how to love, then home life and every other life is going to be terrible. Because ultimately, the fundamental thing which is going to give joy is missing. So to tap into unseen sources of love, and I can give only this example, which I often give. I said, do you think, now, sometimes people, you know, especially, you know, I'm talking of the youngsters, adolescents who come and they're going through depression, you know, because somebody has uh, stopped loving or whatever has happened, turned away, hundred things can happen. <laughs> so just ask them that, okay, that person has stopped loving. Have you also stopped loving? Oh, I don't want to see the face. Okay, fine. But have you stopped loving, I asked. Loving is not just one person. Have you stopped loving the tree? Have you stopped loving the plant? Have you stopped loving the animal? All these creatures love you. Even the stars love you. The river loves you. The rains love you. The mud loves you. All these are expressions of love. The fruit you are eating is because of the gift of love. The flower that you see smiling at you is a gift of love. Do you notice love is everywhere? Love is woven the stars when we look at night um, sky. All these are acts of love. Now this we can understand if we look at the entire creation with the eye of a conscious eye which looks at everything consciously. But if we say these are all mechanical things and I am the only conscious being on this planet, then we are heading toward disaster. Love speaks to us in many ways and one of its most beautiful you know, speeches when it is spoken silently. Look at the animals, how they express love. Look at the plants, how they express love. Sometimes just gentle breeze will pass by. Look at just now that little rain which came in Pondicherry. Sorry, it's a webinar I forgot. But you know, in Pondicherry, we just it was getting very hot and humid. Suddenly we are blessed with the rain. So what is it? It's the love of sky pouring in. Okay, children, you get danced a little bit. There's such a joy in it. It releases instantly a joy. So this is how when we look at creation with the eye of love, with the heart of love. Of course, it's understood that the ultimate uh, satisfaction of this love, thirst for love is only when it connects with the divine. But this divine is again not someone who is only disconnected with the world. Such a divine, even if he love, a divine who is disconnected himself from the whole world, how will he love? But it's also about the divine who is intimately connected with the world, who is in everything. And when we love everything, everybody releases those energies of love love an idea love the country love this mud and even the work that we do can be you know we can love that so releasing the energy of love purifying it refining it its crudest form is that i love myself that's it then the second form is i will love you provided you love me the third is i love you but i want your love in return the fourth is i love you Okay, return is okay, but you must acknowledge it. You must say that, look here, you know. And the fifth is just love as the plant loves, the tree loves, the winds love, as the sun loves, as the rivers love, flow with that love. So there is this aspect which is completely missing. And all these three, if you look closely, relate to three different parts of our nature. Knowledge relates to the mind. Mind is a natural seeking for knowledge. Love relates to the heart because heart is a natural need of love and Power relates to the will because will is about mastery, about acquisition, about acquiring. And behind all this, there is something else which is the key to open the doors to infinite reservoirs 
of all of them and that is the psychic being in us of course the very nature of psychic is love but at the same time it can open the door it is love which holds in itself the key to knowledge it is love that holds within itself the key to power how because from the psychic door we can tap into the one divine who has everything within it so this psychic impulse which is the seed the divine seed we started with divine nature so this is the seed of the divine nature buried inside and this has to be brought out without bringing out this seed all other things are artificial to tell people love your neighbor love thyself and whatever those 10 commandments is meaningless unless we give them the basis the basis is here we don't uh, without tapping it we'll be always either critical of others always complaining about something or the other because this is where love lies we are not tapping it into the right place so all other ways artificially it will not last long and finally there is something which is missing we have mind we have the heart the will behind it all the psychic entity so all these beautiful divine qualities divine nature must find a place now in our everyday life it is hidden covered by our darkened ignorant human nature as the images in the vedas but when the divine nature comes to play it is like beautiful casket of flowers it must be in a beautiful vase sometimes you know when you have too many flowers and the vase is very small and fragile try fitting them see what happens it just won't fit and if you somehow try some people do it thus dena forcefully now what happens you put it and the least gust you know wind and the vase breaks and it falls and it breaks or the water spills away and the flowers dry so there must be a vase also which is as beautiful strong supple plastic wide and that was is the human body it is the basis on which all this play of divine nature will take place an education which neglects the human body is no education at all an education which neglects the soul is not even worthy of being called education but these are the two poles which are the most neglected we focus on the mind some of the faculties memory not even judgment which is so important in life in fact as children grow up now there is a new thing you know there some of these uh, new liberal ideas we should be very careful they are very profound truths but twisted for someone be non judgmental yes of course be non judgmental who denies it but in every moment of life we have to judge one way or the other i have to take a step i cannot take a step unless i judge the consequence of my actions so non judgmental simply means don't condemn people because you know what they are that's the meaning it doesn't mean i'll do anything i'll be asuric i'll be the most demonic creature the moment i say look here you know you need to stop no no don't be judgmental about me i'll drink i'll you know take a film ganja don't be judgmental this is not what it means it twists a great truth the divine is non judgmental in the sense that he doesn't condemn anyone he helps everyone but without judgment life cannot be discernment is one of the first discriminating intellect is buddhi one of the first powers that awakens in a uh, mind which is awake because that's how life is we have to navigate through life so another such idea is unconditional love now this is very good unconditional love you should love me unconditionally i'll put all the conditions before you it doesn't work like that i mean unconditional love only the divine can do why because divine doesn't need anything from us
So, if a human being prematurely tries, these are very profound truths, which one day humanity will experience and practice it. They are like the distant stars, but we don't leap into the distant star just because we can see it. There is a big difference between seeing and reaching out there. So you must know the difference that these impulses have started coming in humanity. So, mind itself, hardly we have explored it. The capacity even for memory, something which we teach children. They can't memorize beyond a paragraph. Look at the Vedic Rishis. They transmitted an entire body of knowledge through memory. How was it possible? What was it, the secret of their memory? Visual memory. Memory by hearing. Tactile memory. Memory of smell. Memory of taste. So many kinds of memories are there. And memory can expand. There is no psychic memories, emotional memories, soul memory, how to bring it out. Memory of the body. There is, it's a whole field. But obviously, paucity of time, I will not go into all that. Just the mere mind. And then, education of the heart, completely missing. All that is, in fact, all that we are taught is, in competition, you must come first. Meaning thereby, it doesn't matter whoever comes second or third. Elbow, edge out, but you must come first. So we are actually encouraging all that is contrary to the true spirit of love. Love is about togetherness. Love is about, you know, binding together, carrying everybody together. And so when children grow up, they leave their parents behind. So parents say, why, why are you doing this to it? But dad, you taught me. When did I taught you that you shouldn't take care of parents? No, no, you didn't say that. But you said coming first and being on top, that's important. Now, if you are with us, it's a big responsibility. I can't do well in my company. So I need to, you know, I'm sorry, but I have to make a choice. The choice is between rising to the top of my company or in taking care of you. I choose that because that's what you taught me. It's not taught in so many words, but this is how the whole story goes. And then, of course, power we understand only external. How many politicians' name we have on a button? But the one person whom we can call the source of all power, the Almighty and who needs only one number and no cell phone, and that is one. Call by any name. He is ready. So if you form a connect through meditation, prayer, aspiration, whatever way, to form a connect that... You know, that kind of faith that if we call him, he's there with us. Leave aside developing these powers within, they do awaken through yoga. But that's a long process. But a basic self-mastery and this ability to tap into the infinite. So that is again what is, uh, you know, completely missing. And as I said, the body is the base. So sometimes geniuses are called that they are eccentric. You know, that movie, Beautiful, Beautiful Mind. Why? Because it's, it's a truth. Because there is such an onrush of energies that only a genius can understand how the mind can break down under that pressure. It's not easy to bear the onrush of... That's why in the Vedic Vedas we see the gods, Ashwins, the Ribhus, they come and lay down the right... See what happens when we read Shurabindo. After some time, half a sentence we are doing, uh, then we close and say, very difficult, very difficult. It's not difficult. <laughs> Our capacity is limited. So that's because the onrush of those energies we cannot bear. We may sit in meditation for two hours, but it changes nothing because out of that two hours, unfortunately, one hour, 50 minutes, we are sleeping. <laughs> or slipping into sleep. Whereas to really sit for two hours in meditation, actively concentrated and receiving that power is near impossible unless the body and the brain are capable of receiving it. 
all education studies when you know people ask why should we study this subject that subject is to make the mind supple to make it ready to receive if the mind is not supple some people have it inbuilt someone like shri ramakrishna they are doubly triply blessed special beings but most people need to go through a formal education so that the mind becomes supple able to look at a problem from many angles when we look at a stone to a physicist i it's a stone to a psychic i it's god to an emotional i oh my loved one gave me it's a priceless treasure to the i of will what can i do can i lift a weight this is how the same stone to the sculpture size in every detail can i chip it and make a murti out of it so the same stone is seen from so many angles this vision we have to awaken in human beings not in age of exclusivity where there is god elsewhere and this is world elsewhere and all these powers and last but not the least the beauty of the body and an eye for each and every detail perfection in every sphere this need for perfection and perfection has nothing to do with only arranging objects this way and that way perfection of feelings how can there be even a little bit of hatred it's imperfection how can there be anger it's an imperfection how can i uh, my inspiration become faulty it's an imperfection how can i slip out and speak untruth it's an imperfection so when we look at perfection from that all roundedness then we are laying the base for a divine superhumanity of the future whether we like it or not it is destined to be because it is our basic nature our true nature is divine education is only a means to bring it out unfortunately very often we make it even more difficult for it to come out by putting children on the road of ambition not realizing that if we teach them excellence and perfection they will do well why won't they do well but instead we bring in ambition rather than pursuit of excellence and perfection so the whole thing should be developed integrally developed for the joy of it not because you are going to get marks because uh, life doesn't give marks it only gives either a blow on the nose <laughs> or <laughs> then it gets swollen or it carries us through the smooth lanes sometimes through difficult lanes so that's where the real test lies life doesn't bother about these other tests but when we have achieved everything that we thought outwardly then life says are you ready for the real test oh i have cleared all my tests okay sure and then we realize that we have lost something most precious and that's when we fail i have seen people at uh, what degree of achievement and go into depression and commit suicide that's not the kind of generation we want to create through education but truly to bring out their divine nature and put it at the service of the divine in humanity namaste thank you alabda for the wonderful lecture it's so enlightening and really liberating uh, hearing you talk about the true aims of education in terms of knowledge power love and perfection the four powers of the divine shakti or the divine mother uh, there are a few questions ya manan bindal ji you can go ahead and ask Uh, namaste alokda uh, this is manan from the delhi ashram hi namaste manan uh, so alokda uh, you um, i uh, follow the oruma youtube channel very closely and i pretty much watch all the videos in particular on integral education my question is specific to unlearning dada uh, ah. see 
the thing is that you know my generation and the people who have already gone through some education and now are contributing to the country and to humanity and definitely there is a shift in receptivity and also there's an awareness that there's a lot of churn happening and therefore there is some transformation which is around the corner i think it's quite evident and it's also visible to a lot of people and in their own form and manner people are talking about it but dada yes. in terms of transformation and to kind of expedite conscious evolution and the march towards supramental transformation uh, what what are your thoughts on those because uh, you know we all have spaces like these and people who are especially on the path of integral yoga uh, should kind of carry the onus not just in uh, contemplation but really in action because yes. like sri aurobindo yes. talks about chit shakti yes. conscious will force in action so i think marrying this relooking education and unlearning along with uh, force are uh, dedicated to the divine causes i think the sweet spot that at least i am aspiring for so i wanted to so really- um, yeah i can share uh, from a very personal perspective because this was my issue while doing my medicine in my not schooling days um, not during mbbs because that time i was not aware but uh, one thing i felt during mbbs days is that uh, whatever i am learning uh, is not enough and during the md it was very conscious that you know this is not enough so i think what is important is instead of i understand what you speak about unlearning but that's a way more difficult and we don't have to do that you know the path of the isha is expand isha upanishad so instead of unlearning because after all it has some truth uh, i'll give an example to make it clear not to be satisfied with any halfway home to the urge for progress and that itself leads to a relearning and reprogramming i'll give an example i think i gave passingly the example of genetics now genes are important they form a structural basis of the body and to an extent they can you know influence our outer nature there is no doubt about it now this is learning now instead of unlearning that they are not important to say that there is something much greater which can very change you know it can uh, so to discover that area it's like going into if i have to use the modern term cutting edge um, you know not technology but cutting edge knowledge base which is uh, transformative and which is which we can find embedded in consciousness so can consciousness when awakened to its fullest because consciousness is everywhere in everything but can we by expanding and awakening and uh, you know heightening the consciousness deepening it can we influence matter and material process and physical process i am speaking only of the field of medicine it applies everywhere can i through an intuition understand the illness of a patient better can i re is it possible to reprogram my brain cells is it possible to reprogram my heart or you know lay down all these things now this is also a, a thought which has gone into the domain of medical field and the same thing applies everywhere so instead of uh, unlearning will follow whatever is unnecessary will drop away for instance when we say genes are everything it will drop away it is a kind of unlearning but genes do form a building block and what is behind genes will discover all discoveries have taken place like that people have not uh, called it by these terms but there is that urge for progress so i think what is important is never to be satisfied as you rightly said just by contemplation and speaking about thing but in whatever field it could be the field of cinematics i mean anything for that matter and in every area to know how i can do it better not just better in terms of quantity but better in terms of quality is there something new that i can bring out so that's where you know one of the prayers that mother gave to the children of the school 
uh, which is the basic prayer and it is you know make of us the hero warriors we aspire to become may we fight successfully the battle of the future that is to be born against the past that seeks to endure so that we may be ready to receive the new things and to manifest them so there are new things which are wanting to manifest at every level and to become receptive so how do we become receptive and open when we develop the humility that all that i know is really nothing there is so much more and to keep on moving till as shubhendra puts in savitri where does knowledge really arrive at its culmination where i mean culmination is a way of saying where god and world become true and one so that's the point we must uh, you know dig and find doesn't matter through science through yoga uh, through any which way the urge for progress so not to be satisfied with anything um, unfortunately one of the big bane's of degree education degree oriented education is that the moment a person gets a degree there is this idea that now i know it now i am qualified um, often with uh, some of my md students uh, uh, in psychiatry i would tell them that when they've completed their you know md i would say you know real knowledge begins now now you observe you will have your own notings you will discover wonderful things so this urge for progress is what is needed rest will unfold and if one is on the path of integral yoga then the possibility is endless because this urge for progress becomes a conscious means it changes it to an aspiration and there is a help from above from the grace but even if one was not consciously open and simply had the urge for progress and towards greater and greater perfection the help will come because it's a new consciousness which wants to manifest new things so that's how i look at it and, and uh, there are a lot of things i have one more follow up question yes, which is kind yes. of linked to it in at least my imagination yeah. which is around a uh, contagion of consciousness yes wonderful and 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 also uh, so i'm working with the vts in the delhi ashram and what we have been doing for the last 15 days is meditate on the mother symbol hmm. and wonderful. and have discussions around it and i'm uh, keen on exploring contagion of consciousness in this context and also what you just said previously dada thank you absolutely i mean this is one thing which uh, i can put it semi humorously <laughs> somebody came and told me uh, you know was shaking hand and i i stretched my hand to shake the hand and the person said no 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 i am having a contagious uh, you know viral infection so i said okay maybe my health is also contagious so so it there's another kind of contagion we don't speak about unfortunately this is a term we are using only for but if we take that there is a common ground of consciousness see this is the fundamental thing that we need to understand at the level of children i mean you understand some of us understand and that's why i say there are two gospels one is a gospel which is based on division like the particle theory this is a particle this is a particle other is which is like the wave theory there is a continuum so the first is actually avidya even if we teach everything it is on the basis of separate physics is separate chemistry is separate biology is separate geography is separate history is separate but another way is which is vidya oneness where we discover that all these things from the quasa to the distant galaxies and man and the worm they are all interconnected through a warp and woof of consciousness so one of the fundamental necessities uh, is to understand by various means that what really this consciousness is and several examples i mean sometimes of uh, people getting to know thought sometimes when we go to market i use these examples in psychology that see what happens with the company we keep when we go to market suddenly a desire catches us to uh, buy something 
the well-known idea of satsang. So these there are very many examples that the kind of company we keep tends to affect us. Uh, so even in food, in every place, you know, mother's food, visa-visa, hotel's food, hundreds of examples we can give that, uh, you know, there was this movie Ashoka where they saw that the moment you hold a sword, uh, so, you know, it, because it carries impressions. So uh, these are very well-known aspects of knowledge which we have forgotten. There have been now a rediscovery of this through molecules of water, you know, not molecules, uh, uh, the structures of water where you know you see the structures of molecules that they come together crystallography so they form crystals which can be seen by microscope and how they respond to human thought human feelings uh, but still we have not yet reached that point like we talk about organic farming but we don't talk about the effect of thoughts and feelings and the consciousness of the person who is tilling the soil and sowing the seeds so but we are re- uh, turning towards that so to understand that it's one single reality which is taking many shapes and many forms. And if we can understand it, many problems of the world will be solved. That there is but one single reality which is taking many shapes and many forms, then life would be so wonderful. And the rest of it will evolve. It's a vast subject, but that's the way. Thirst for progress and perfection, and very importantly that it's a continuum. These are not, these look distinct and separate, which is okay for a certain purpose. And yet, there is a undercurrent of interconnectedness so that's the way one can understand contagion interconnectedness is something which we do understand now and that's the way we can understand yes thank you all thank you alagda for so lucidly explaining the idea of consciousness and the contagiousness of consciousness uh, i have one question uh, today there is a rise of yoga throughout the world people are coming into the path of yoga due to several reasons mm. and we also see that education is kind of uh, being it will be transformed because of the pandemic and because of mm. ai and other things but why there is a different why there is a dichotomy between yoga and education why they are like we are thinking of uh, yoga in education maybe one class one period in one week in terms of that so it is the old illness which is continuing <laughs> old melody which separates things into very distinct things that's why and sometimes we are carried away by the name there are people I am actually aware of it and mother has spoken about it. Who are practicing yoga, they don't know they are doing yoga. Whereas there are people who are so called practicing yoga are in an ashram but far from yoga. Because, because yoga is to unite God and world and with man individual as the nodus in whom the union takes place. Man is nothing but he is like a, you know, a conduit in which God and world can unite. But instead, either we take yoga as okay for the body or to run away from the world. So naturally that yoga or simply for some physical health. But yoga in its original sense is to bring God and the world together with man as the mediating agency. Which means in every subject there is yoga. In geography, if we, I've, I've seen geography and understood it completely from the yoga point of view. History I have understood from the yoga point of view. And I was talking this to some children. that How we can understand history. If we look at the graphs as the rise and fall of civilization and the common undercurrent. You can see history from the yoga point of view. Without using the word. So it is a vision that one has to develop. It is the old, it's the old malady continuing in new forms. That's all. <laughs> as Sri said, the old wine 
in a new bottle, but he wants the new wine. Doesn't matter whether it's the old bottle or the new bottle, but the wine should be new. <laughs> so, but anyway, this is a beginning. Uh, it's enough that at least it's it's a good starting. Not enough, far from enough. It's a good starting that at least people are beginning to uh, recognize there is something like yoga. Then, out of uh, millions who recognize, maybe a couple of thousand will try to seek deeper. And out of a couple of thousand, as the Gita says, few hundreds are there who will really uh, try to go deeper put it into practice and become the catalyst for the change these always will be few but these few will be enough as you know we just uh, shared about contagion who will by contagion allow this to spread into the world i agree that uh, all this talk about yoga right now is very very superfluous from one point of view i would say almost puerile but yet a child starts with infancy so it's okay so <laughs> the infant will grow at least the infant has begun to open the eyes and look at the world is delivered out of the womb so that's how i look at it it's a long way to go but humanity is walking that way yeah indeed indeed along the like uh, uh, unless we read sri aurobindo and understand that yoga is in the everyday Yeah, uh, yeah activities of our life we will think of yoga in terms of some ascetic yeah thing. yeah absolutely and, absolutely uh, or some practice for just physical health or mind body union whatever it means <laughs> it's and yeah. and by that it will be divorced from our mainstream yeah. education yeah 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 okay. okay um i think we are past the time yes so and uh, as usual but it has been an enthralling session and thank thank you alokda for the wonderful uh, lecture today thank you uh, thank you yeah, thank you it it is always nice to hear you and good that you begin all our modules and set the it's, context for the it's a joy to share that's all and with such a wonderful you know not audience but actual practitioners <laughs> i would love to you know sit and listen but <laughs> some day thank you so much thank you so much yeah yeah the chats are f- uh, filled with gratitude and thank note to you all of the i can thank just you. say that thank yeah. you thank you yeah